Hello everybody, um, my name is Mark Ruber and today it's my great pleasure to be talking to Robert Sessions, who was Publishing Director at Penguin for over 20 years and um, has held a lot of positions in the publishing industry, uh, both as a paid professional and as a volunteer on the Melbourne Writers' Festival for one, and in uh, 2013 he was made an Order of Australia, which is uh, a great honour for his service to um, Australian publishing. Uh, so this is a session where I talk to people who've influenced the books that reading sells and also the books that you read. So anyway, let's get cracking. Bob, welcome. Thank you. Uh, now, I gather from your accent, you're not from Australia originally. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I will, I will. When uh, I, I was leaving school, um, I told my father that I was determined to be the Commodore of the P&O shipping line. And he was a bit taken aback, and um, he said, I don't think I know anybody in shipping. But uh, anyway, I went. he t sent me to a pre-sea training school. I did quite well. I was able to choose my shipping line, and I chose the P&O. And I had three interesting and often exciting years at sea as a, as a young, very young man. Right. And about year three... I got in touch with my father again, and I said, look, I said, there are a lot of old drunks on the ship, a lot of people of 40 who are miserable, missing their wives. I don't think I want to be one of those. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to stick it out. He said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, something with words. He said, ah, well, I do know somebody to do with words. An old school chum, and I'll send you to see him. He sent me along to see the rather gloriously named Sir Robert Lusty, who was head of Hutchinson and also right. governor of the BBC. Oh. And uh, I poured my heart out to him uh, about what I wanted to do. And he said, hmm, I don't, Oxford or Cambridge? And I said, N neither. And he said, oh, not much good to me, I don't think. Uh, he, he said, um, and I said, but there must be something that I can do to make me um, acceptable in the publishing industry. And he said, well, he said, we t take on teachers sometimes and journalists sometimes and even booksellers and I picked up my ears at this and I thought ah I could do that <laughs> and in those days Mark as you may remember if you wanted a job you could usually get it and this I went is in off, the early 60s wasn't early it? 60s right. exactly yeah and I went off to um, the Times booksellers in Wigmore Street a very so this is in, in London market, in London a yeah very upmarket bookshop where all the celebrities and doctors and people went. It was called, what was it called? The Times the bookshop. Times, it right. was owned by the Times. Right. You know. And uh, I worked my way up from atlases through diaries and calendars to <laughs> uh, back of shop to front of shop. And um, I went back to see Sir Robert and I said, look, I've done book selling. Now. <laughs> How long was this? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, you're very fortunate. He said, I've just started an apprenticeship scheme at this mm. company and you can be the number two apprentice. Number one apprentice was Michael Rainbird. And um, so he put me in department after department, and I had the most fabulous learning experience in publishing you could possibly have. Mm -hmm. I was virtually an apprentice publisher. Right. 
And uh, so you worked in all the departments, all the departments. You know, he, he publishing, pushed editorial, me around, yeah, marketing. production, you know, marketing, right, right. and so on. I mean, all in the space of a year and a half or something. Yes, but yeah. even so, it was a terrific <laughs> learning curve. And um, I had just been promoted to the translation department, where you take books in from Europe and work on the translation and publish them in English. And a friend of mine came. But you by. were translating. I wasn't translating. No, no I was. I was editing the translator. Ah, uh, right. I was <laughs> <laughs> uh, just. I was just sort of hitting my straps there, and a friend came by um, in a Land Rover and took me to lunch. And he said, um, uh, "I'm going to Australia. Do you want to come?" And I said, "What do you mean come?" He said, "Do you want to drive overland with me to Australia?" Huh. And I said, oh, I don't think so. I'm just sort of, you know, getting started in my career. He said, oh, he said, this is no time like the present, you know, country of the future, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I went to my boss um, and I said, look, a friend of mine's going to Australia. I'd love to go with him. Will you keep my job open? He said, no. He said, I won't keep your job open because you won't be back. If I was in your shoes, I'd be doing just the same thing. Young man's country, new opportunities, mm. and so on. So uh, we had the exciting overland drive. Um, I got to Perth and met in a pub a um, bookseller's rep. Uh, where else do you meet booksellers' yes. reps? <laughs> in those days, that was the place where we met them, wasn't it? The pub. <laughs> and he explained to me that, that at that time, all the publishers uh, were in Melbourne, which, which, which was true at that mm. time. And so all I had to do really was get on a train, go across the Nullarbor, go to Melbourne and look for a job. So I got to Melbourne knowing nothing and nobody and, and so on and um, started going around the various publishers. And when one of them, heard, when several of them heard that I'd done an apprenticeship in London, <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't give me a job fast enough. And the job I took was with Castle & Company which was a funny old company in those days. All it ever did was import the number of copies the English company told them to import yeah. and distribute them. So they weren't publishers. No. You know. And what kind of, they published dictionaries and... Uh, uh, histories. Histories. Uh, uh, and, and, and dictionaries. I mean, uh, even the odd bit of fiction. Anyway, I, I was given the job as the first editor. And, oh. and I, I was given this little room. Um, but if they weren't publishing anything, what? Well, <laughs> because editing? they had a publisher in their name, people had been sending them stuff. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> and they thought they'd better do something about it. Right. And the first manuscript I picked off the dusty pile was um, Tom Keneally, uh, mm. The Fear, which was just languishing there, you know. <laughs> and so, so that, that introduced me to Tom as an author, um, and I published two or three books with him. Uh, but it also got me going as a, a, a young parvenu publisher in Australia. As I say, I knew nothing about the culture and I did a smart thing. I went down to the age and I ingratiated myself with a number of the journalists there and I said, look, I want a crash course in Australian culture, right. <laughs> music, art, <laughs> everything else. And uh, they were generous uh, in those days and, and, and um, I... I, I got to know just enough to scrape through. Right. Can you think of any names of those journalists? That... Yes, there were two in particular. Yeah. There was uh, um, uh, Jeff Hutton, who, who was a, a journalist, and his wife, Nan Hutton. Nan Hutton was my kind of literary mentor, and right. Jeff Hutton was my social men right. mentor. Um, and quite a few other people too down mm. there. But um, 
um, his name I've I've forgotten, um, but uh, it, it was it was the right thing to do uh, because otherwise I would have been floundering. Mm. And um, so you stayed at Castle, and you stayed actually, at Castle for. And you actually published ended up publishing Tom. Uh, yes, at Castle. Yeah, yeah, I did the Fear and mm. um, Bring Larks and Heroes. Right. Um, Jimmy, and, Jimmy Blacksmith. That was the, no. That yeah. came just afterwards. That right. was published by Angus and Robertson first. Right. First up, and right. then I did it again in Penguin. But, right. um, but um, uh, oh, look, Ruth Park um, comes to mind from those days. Thea in, Astley at, at Castle. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, I'm confusing yeah. Castle and Nelson. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Castle was was Keneally, mm. um, and uh, Christopher Koch. Um, but uh, I, it, during my time there, um, I got a phone call from a man called John Hooker, uh, right. who was a penguin, and I, I didn't know John, and he said, have a cup of coffee, and he said, we'd like you to join us uh, at Penguin. Hilary McPhee is leaving, and we'd like you to come across as an editor. And I said, but where is Penguin? And he said, well, it's, it's in Ringwood. And I said, oh, I never go east of Burke Road. <laughs> He said, we'll give you a car. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, of course, I was persuaded. I mean... I'd, the car... I'd, was the car that decided... The, no, no, <laughs> it, it, Penguin was. I mean, right. you know, <laughs> I was so respectful of Penguin and, yeah. and, and, and had read so many Penguin books. Uh, I, I felt quite honoured to be working for that company. Um, and it was an experience because we were a long way out uh, in mm. the sticks. Um we had a huge warehouse. Uh, it was a pretty well-run company in those days, although I've got to say that in the early years, we did misbehave a bit. I mean, it was it was a, p- a particular time in the history of publishing and indeed industry when people behaved badly. Right. Um, you know, from so, the top down. I mean, John Mickey was, was my boss, a wonderful man. Yeah. Um, but he didn't mind a long lunch. No, the uh, publishers were... Um, <laughs> we were quite famous for it. Very famous for it. <laughs> and I think the odd, odd bookseller, I think, particularly one in Adelaide. Got, if, got, got caught up, <laughs> yes. <laughs> in, the long, in the long lunch. Um, I mean, it would never happen now, but, but, um, but, but we really did. I mean, John used to say, if you can't get back to your desk by three, don't go back at all. Anyway, Penguin was was uh, an experience for me because it, I'd gone from a kind of um, fairly amateurish organisation at Castle via a fairly confused place at Nelson um, to Penguin, which was so polished and so professional right. in, in all it did. You know, and it was would it be true to say at that time Penguin was was the largest publisher and distributor. Oh, oh yes, in oh, uh, yes, uh, uh, yes. I mean. Angus and Robertson would have been not far behind right. uh, for a number of years, but but Penguin certainly was. Yes, yeah. um, it also had a very widespread list. I mean, well, because it had all that English, all those English thing. I mean, we, we had the Puffin list behind us, yeah. uh, um, and um, uh, the other thing, Mark, was that uh, unlike today, which is so corporate and organised, we could really do almost anything we wanted to do then. The encouragement from England was grow the list, grow the list. Not oh, so they were pushing you... Absolutely, absolutely. To build up they, a local list. Yes, yes. They, they, were, didn't, they didn't just see you as 
a conduit for their no what well, well well that's an interesting interesting discussion to have um they had had been like that right and um somebody came along uh, over there um it might have been it might have been richard lang anyway anyway somebody said we really have to start an australian program and once we sold that idea to england they thought, well, the bigger and more powerful we were in Australia, the more powerful they were. So right. they encouraged us. Right. And unlike today, where it was, where it's all so risk averse, you know, um, don't do anything without asking first, and you know, right. show <laughs> us ten spreadsheets. And, yes. uh, in those days, it was yeah, go for it, go for it, you know? give it a go. Yeah. And it was it was fun, you know. And did you control your profits so you could put them back into, or did you have to send? <laughs> <laughs> the real answer, yeah. <laughs> it, it, the real answer is slightly complicated, but I'll do my best. Um, we lived at a time, which you remember well, when we were with a schedule, something called a schedule, and we marked up the English price uh, to Australia. Mm. And on the basis of that, we were making buckets of money out of the English books coming into the right. country, <laughs> and we could squirrel away anything we wanted to for a local publication because it didn't show up particularly, you know. <laughs> um, and it was years and years before m when I was publishing director, before my list really made a big difference to the overall picture. Right. You so. know, it went from sort of 800,000 a year to 8 million, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, yes, we were then looking after our own, our own profits uh, and being measured by them. Uh, and we did very well. So both with distribution and the local yes, publishing. Yes, mm. yes, exactly, mm. exactly. And um, was John Hooker the first publisher, Australian publisher? Yes, he was. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Mm. John was the first. John, John was uh, pulled across from New Zealand. Um, oh, for, sorry, from Cheshire, uh, right. actually. Uh, New Zealand, then Cheshire. And he was the first publisher. I was managing editor, if you like. Right. Uh, and our little editorial department grew exponentially. Yeah. <laughs> And what was the? Um, where did you sell these books? Who was, or who was selling them for you, and who was buying them? Do you have any sense of? Yes, uh, um, we had an enormously efficient and well thought through sales team, mm. uh, completely national. Um, some booksellers, places like Queensland and West Australia, would say the only rep we see each month is the Penguin rep. You know, so <laughs> we were having better than our fair share of, yeah. of the market there, I think, probably. Of course, all that changed over time and other people became mm. competitive. But, mm. but for a while, we had it pretty much our own way, I thought. You, you dominated yeah, the market. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and then other publishers started coming to us and saying, will you distribute our books? Right. And we had interesting board meeting which said, you know, do we really want to give a leg up to this competitor? You know? Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> and in the end we decided we did. Right. You, you thought the, the greater good was... Yes, if you had well, a... well, 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 more turnover was <laughs> helpful. Yeah. yeah. And so you stayed at Penguin for... Well, I stayed at Penguin for about six or seven years oh, on right. that, on so that quite... occasion. Um, and then John Mickey got sacked by London uh, in circumstances that I and others thought was extremely unfair. Um, he'd, he'd taken London's advice to invest 
some money in a share-broking firm in Sydney run by one of our directors, and we lost a lot. Oh. And he was blamed, not not this director, but John was. Um, I think they used it as an excuse to get rid of him. I think he was getting a bit too big for his boots and a bit too successful. So initially they were encouraging him, and then as the company grew, he they started to resent him, did they? Or? Not editorially, no. uh, in a business sense. Right. I think I think they found him. Right. You know, he he didn't cow tow enough. Right. And did they send out people every year to? <laughs> they did, and they sent out people one year. Ron Blass, his name was, yeah. um, and Ron sat in John's office on a corduroy couch, and with tears streaming down his face, I suppose they were tears, fake tears, and said, "My boy, I love him so much, but he has to go." You know. <laughs> So we were we were all right. prepared to walk out, and John right. said, "No, no, don't do that." Um, and he went off, uh, and he got a job at Nelson, running Nelson. Right. And he rang me one day, and he said, um, "Aren't you tired of being a literary subtenant?" <laughs> I said, "What?" He said, "Well, you publish this paperbacks. Don't you want to publish real books?" He said, "Come, come with me and be my publishing director, and you can publish real books." So he persuaded me because John was a very persuasive man. Right. And uh, I joined him at Nelson in uh, La Trobe Street. It was a very different operation to Penguin. <laughs> was it not quite so professional? No. <laughs> more lunches? Uh, a few more lunches. Um, a much more educational publishing, right. uh, uh, which I wasn't so comfortable with. Um, anyway, we moved along for a few years. John got ill. He got Alzheimer's, sadly. Um, and... Um, uh, the people who own the company really decided they wanted to be educational publishers, not trade right, publishers. Right. Trade publishing was too risky. Right. <laughs> so they they closed the trade division, which right. I was running. Right. Um, so you were redundant. I was redundant. Were they, Nelson, an Australian company? Or? No, Canadian. Canadian. Mm. Canadian. But I wanted uh, nothing more to be back at Penguin, really. Um, oh, really? And I, and I told... So you missed Penguin when you... I missed Penguin, yeah, right. yeah. And I, I, and I told um, Peter Field, I think it was then, and Brian Johns mm. that I really wanted to come back to Penguin. And they said, look, we'd love to have you back, but we don't have a spot for you. you yeah. Know? Sorry. So um, Lloyd O'Neill uh, rang me up and he said, look, I've been watching what's happening with your career. He said, um, why don't you start your own company? And I said, oh, I can't afford to do that. And he said, I'll, I'll, I'll back you. And in return, I want you to help me run my company, which was Lloyd O'Neill. Right. And um, so I started a little company called Robert Sessions Publishing and published a uh, reasonably successful book called Animalia. Oh, right. <laughs> which which cash flowed things quite quite nicely. That's for a book by Graham Bates. And that people, that's, our, that's right. Our listeners... Yeah. Should have heard of. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it was, I mean, it sold millions of copies in the yeah. end. Um, and still in print. Still in print, yes, mm. yes. So so uh, I went to Penguin and I said, will you distribute my books, my little tiny list of mostly children's books? Mm. And they did, and they did rather well with them. And Lloyd said to me, I'm really envious of you. He said, he said I've got these people called Gordon and Gotch and they're hopeless. Mm. He, I, he said, do you think they would... Um, consider con distributing my books. So I asked Trevor Glover at Penguin, and he said, no, he said, we won't distribute Lloyd's books, but we'll buy the company. 
Right. I said, right, I'll talk to Lloyd. And Lloyd said, I'm a staunch nationalist. I'm not going to sell out to some multinational. <laughs> and uh, anyway, they said, well, we'll make you a director and uh, you can work your own hours. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you a car. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> give you a car. Anyway, Lloyd was getting ill at the time, um, so it, it, it was a good solution for him. And uh, he kind of supported me to, in, a, in, a, in a bid to get a good job at Penguin, which I did. Um, and then some years later, I became publishing director. So was Brian Johns there at this time? Brian was there then, right. yeah. I was working down in um, South Yarra mm. in kind of satellite office. And didn't see much of Brian, but he would come down whenever he had a a ticklish publishing problem because he wasn't really an experienced publisher mm. um, or when he had an illustrated book because he didn't understand illustrated no. books. So I started doing those. I had little divisions going, you know, doing those sorts of books and well, he did the rest. Uh, and some of them went very well, which was great. And um, oh, what happened next? Um, so I'm just interested in um, your relationship with... Brian, because Brian was, he was a fierce nationalist and... Relationship with Brian was... was, was he was, was interested in ideas, wasn't he? Absolutely. Big, big issues. So and, interested in ideas mm. that that he put the idea before the business of publishing. Right. He would take his staff, me sometimes included, down to the pub and they'd have brainstorms and he'll say, we're going to do a book on the boat people, you know, and Hillary, you can do this and do that. And then he expected the book to be out in three weeks, you know, because it was a because he was a journalist, hot, hot topic. Because he was a journalist, exactly, and that did cause a little bit of friction. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't always have just what he wanted, right? But he was an energetic man. He mm. encouraged people. Uh, he had a good sense of fiction, um, and he was going along extremely well. And I was very happy to be working for him or mm. with him. Um, <clears throat> but he had this ambition to be head of the ABC. Yes. It was a long-running ambition. Mm. And whilst he didn't succeed in getting that job immediately, he was offered the job ahead of SBS. Yeah. So that's when he left Penguin. Um, And in the interim, um, Susan Ryan was appointed. Yes, I remember that. It was the days of the celebrity publisher. (laughs) That's right. That's right. You could see the thinking. You could Mm. see how the board would have thought... Now, we need a woman, uh, high profile, good networker, intelligent, well-read, you know. And all those things were true, but the thing was Susan didn't have her heart in it. She didn't have her heart in the job at all. She she enjoyed it, but she didn't really do it. So she'd left politics by that? Yes, yes, yes. There was a a theory going around that uh, Mick Young had rung Brian Johns and said, listen, get this woman out of, out of my oh. party and get her, into, get her into publishing or something like that. Right. <laughs> Which has a ring of truth about it. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, she was, sorry, Susan, hopeless. Um, as a publisher. As a publisher, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not uh, as a person. Uh, not, not as a person, no. No, no as a publisher. H- however, as a person, she did make a couple of very silly mistakes. She used to be fond of singing... Uh, Irish rebel songs um, when she'd had a few drinks right. and she chose the international meeting of the Penguin Board dinner to do that 
and put almost every international director offside. Right. <laughs> she was a fervent na- nationalist, it? fervent anti anti English, right. <laughs> and didn't care who knew it. So she wasn't a great pick, really. And was this at the time of the IRA bombings? And the- yes, yes, right, it was. Right, so yeah, no, there was a lot of sensitivity about it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Anyway, Peter Field was the boss then, a very, a very good boss he was too, mm. um, I thought. Um, and I was in London and uh, in Trevor Glover's office and the phone rang and uh, Trevor said, oh, it's for you. I said, for me? Yeah. It was Peter Field on the phone. He said, Susan Ryan's left. Um, uh, would you like the job of publishing director? I'll give you three minutes to say yes or no. You didn't need three minutes, didn't did you? Didn't need three minutes, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that was... When was that? That was... Well, I was I was publishing director for 25 years, so... Um, and you retired in 2013? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. But 1989 or something? Would have been, yeah. 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 Uh, 87, I think 87, it was. yeah, right. yeah. Once again, heady days, um, mm. exciting days, uh, big job, um, wonderful staff. So you had to women. clean up what had gone on before you? I did, I did. I mean, <laughs> I'll give you one example. It's an example that didn't earn me any brownie points. No. Um, um, uh, under the previous regime, um, a poetry editor had been appointed, external poetry mm. editor with enormous um, uh, um, scope. And she uh, had been saying, saying to people, I'll do that book next year, I'll do that book in two years' time. I'll do it. And she was sort of signing them up in right. advance. And when I got there, and I realised... And advances? That, or? Yeah, it, it's oh. tiny advances, yeah. but, but, but nevertheless advances. Yeah. And when I got there, I looked at this... Um, uh, list, huge list of... of, of, of uh, potential poetry publications. Did a bit of research, realised we'd never sold more than 400 copies mm. of any poetry mm. book. Well, not quite true, but uh, a few exceptions. In general. Yeah. In general. <laughs> uh, and I had to make the decision to write to all the poets and say, look, I'm sorry, you know, we've made this promise to you and we'll get, we can't fulfil it, you know. And I got a, a, a fair bit of flack, mm. as you might imagine, for, for being this kind of philistine, you know, um, who didn't and like poetry? Did that become public, or it did? Because poets like to talk about things. Don't it, they? It, it it did yeah. become public. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And no, no. I, I was persona non grata for a right. few years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the poets. But I thought I had to do it. I mean, I, I did have to do it really. So that was an example of clearing something up, I suppose. Um, and it also toughened me up in, in, in as much as I became very responsible for the figures, you know, for the yeah. profit and loss of the division, mm. because. Uh, up until that stage, you hadn't really that, that been that's right. Susan and Brian's. That's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And were you given a, a brief that you had to achieve a certain yes output and profit? Y- 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 yes, yes, yes. There were there, there was a measure for each book, which was only occasionally met. There was a right. measure for the year, which, as you will know from publishing, Mark, you could beat hands down with one successful book, yes. you know. Mm. Uh, I mean, an example of it would be Picnic at, Hang- Picnic at Hanging Rock, which 
you know, before we published the Penguin edition, had sold 3,000 copies, you know, in, really? in, the, in the Penguin. Yeah, 3,000. Mm. And after the film came out, yeah. which was just a few minutes later, we sold 75,000 copies in, in the first month. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it went on and on and on. You know, <laughs> they were all buying the book to find out what happened to the girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, it, it was a perfect example to me of how one big book can see you through a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What you, uh, I'm publishing is... Yeah, like bookselling. <laughs> well, it doesn't affect booksellers so Not much. Not quite so much. Because they don't... They're getting it from everyone. Yes, else. that's right. Yeah. But a, a publisher, one big book. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you know, I'm very good friends with yeah. Henry Rosenblum. Yes. And, and that book, Gut, has been... Absolutely. ...a saviour yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for him. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, uh, if you're a good publisher, and Henry is, um, those things do come along with mm. some regularity, mm. you know. You probably want them more often. Oh, I, absolutely. I'm sure Henry wants it more often. <laughs> you want them more often, yes. <laughs> and every publisher does. Um so your your background, your expertise—I don't know—expertise in publishing was, I guess, children's illustrated books. Certainly that. More yeah. general. Yes, I think uh, that's, I think that's all true. Yeah, I, I acquired a taste for fiction. Right. Um, I also learned quite early on that fiction wasn't going to, um, on its own, get me the numbers I no. needed. You know, <laughs> you need you need to have a good mix. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think that's true. I mean, I had some very good author mentors. I mean, I'm thinking of people like Ruth Park and Thea Astley, people mm. that I that I came to respect and like very much. Beatrice Davis was an editor who had yeah. been at Angus Robertson for years and was a brilliant fiction publisher, mm. and she mentored me in that, right. in that area. Um, so uh, uh, I suppose in the end I enjoyed publishing the fiction the most, Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's true. Uh, and I got a bit of a feel for it, but um, realised that you had to have a bigger spread. Mm-hmm. And um, the stage, were you formulating, I guess, a personal style or the way you wanted to make a difference in in the, the, uh, the writing landscape? Y- yes and no. I mean, I know it's a nice idea to think that, you know, a publisher has a... Uh, a publishing personality or a persona, um, but in the cut and thrust of daily publishing, you've got to make a profit, and right. um, you know you do tend to um, you do tend to do what you want as well as what you feel you need to do. You know, um, as an example, I was in the Frankfurt Book Fair one year, mm. and I was I met this shady Belgian um, who told me about. A proposal called Chronicle, and Chronicle yeah. was designed by a German publisher to be a kind of um, today's news on the page from history, you know, with mm. lots of pictures. Yeah, and there were big books, five, six hundred yeah. um, pages. I remember those. And he said to me, "You know, we'll do a joint venture, Bob." He said, "I will take fifty-one percent, and you will have forty-nine." <laughs> I said, that's not a joint venture. <laughs> anyway, we did take it on and we published about five, four or five of them and mm. they made a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they just gave a nice little curve to the profit line. Yeah. Well, I remember the first one coming out. Yeah. It, Chronicle of, uh, of the World. I yeah. Think it was. It was yeah. Great yeah. brick of a book. Yeah. A brick of a book. And sold a squillion. There was an interesting marketing technique this German publisher had. Um, he said, um, there'll be a publication day and on that day a 
pallet load of books will arrive on the front door of every bookseller who's, <laughs> who's, who's ordered it, you know, and it'll be there before the shop opens. <laughs> so this is huge pallet. What's that? What, what's going on here? This is exciting. <laughs> um, so you kept on... You're interested in. You're also interested in children's books. And Amelia was your first big success, and you kept yeah. on publishing Graham based. Didn't yeah, you? yeah, yes, I did. I yeah. did. And in my little publishing company, I published um, uh, Ruth Park and um, Jane Tanner and uh, a whole host of children's books. In fact, I, did, I didn't do anything else for, right. for, for, for a year or so mm. um, because I knew the people and I liked the books. And I felt I could bring something to it. Mm. Yeah. And what? Your team was quite. Did you have quite a big team to help? Yes. To I mean, there were areas that you weren't particularly interested in. Uh, or exp- well, who, who sort the, of the publishing division at Penguin um, was about ninety-five people, right? So and think, virtually all smart women. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which was you know made made life much easier and more pleasant. <laughs> um, although they could be awfully unkind to each other sometimes. <laughs> Um, and to you, probably. <laughs> <laughs> not, not to me so much, but to each other. And I did have to do a lot of closed doors and have a Kleenex box and that, and that sort of thing. But um, uh, the staff were obviously in sub-departments, you know, the production design, and yeah. I was responsible for all those. So um, I ended up doing quite a lot of HR. <laughs> right, so not as much creative stuff as you would have liked? Well, that, yes. I mean, I, I, it didn't get in the way particularly, but mm. but there seemed to be quite a lot of right. it. Yeah, yeah. And so you had a, a, a separate children's division? Yes, we did. We and did. then was fiction and non-fiction? We did, actually. Not all the time, but certainly early on. We had a non-fiction publisher and a right. fiction publisher right. um, with me over the top. But um, in later years, we just went children's and adults. Right. Yeah. Mm. And um, under your watch, I think Lantern started, did it? Or yes, it did. Yeah. It did. So that, I, I was what was a, he thinking? Lantern is a very high-end, quality, illustrated, cooking lifestyle imprint, or it, was. It, look, 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 it wasn't quite like that. Right. Uh, I mean, it, it, it came out like that, oh, which, which was fine. Yeah. Um, I was looking for a publisher, um, and I met Julie Gibbs in um, South Australia at, at, at the... Uh, Book week, uh, book festival time, and we got on very well. And I said, "Well, what would you like to do?" And she said, "Look, I'd like to do some, you know, classy publishing." Um, uh, I said, "What areas?" He said, "Oh, well, cookery probably, you know, um, maybe gardening, that sort of thing." And I said, "Fine." I said, "You know, that that sounds griffin. Let me go away and think about it." And almost at the same time. She came to me and she said, um, I've been publishing Stephanie Alexander and if I moved to Penguin, she'd like to come with me. And I said, what's the book? She said, oh, it's moment it's called Stephanie's ABC. <laughs> and so I thought, this is too good to miss, you know, <laughs> and Julia's so talented, we'll give it a go. And... Um, I remember walking down the corridor to see the sales director, Terry Maloney, uh, with Julie, <laughs> and um, said to Terry, Terry, we've got this cookbook. It's um, 800 pages, has almost no pictures, uh, and it's going to have to cost $75. He said, get out of here. 
I can imagine him saying. That. <laughs> I said, however, there are 8,000 copies on a container on their way from Hong Kong as we speak. <laughs> and before the ship arrived, we had to order three more, three more printings. You know. mm. So that was a flying start for Julie. Yeah. So that was her first book? Yeah, for, yeah. for, for Penguin, yeah. yeah. And then Maggie Beer and you know, yeah. a whole host of other people. Yeah. Uh, and then I suppose, to be honest, um, that kind of list... Uh, got to the stage where what next and, um, you know, how do you keep reinventing the wheel? Mm. And I, I think there was an estrangement between Julie and Penguin um, because they wouldn't support her in the way they had, mm. which was a great shame. Mm. I guess um, one of the reasons put to me was that um, they'd lost the retail. When Borders and Angus and Robinson closed, they'd lost the retail outlets to support that. I, kind of I understand the argument, yeah. but I don't really buy it um, right. because I think if if you'd come along with the Cook's Companion, um, you know, it would have sold despite all that. You know, mm. uh, yes, uh, uh, um, those kinds of retailers did help that kind of publishing to a degree, I think. Uh, but Murdoch Books and other people like that are still publishing with some success. Um, mm. uh, it, 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 I don't think it's impossible, um, even. Heidi Grant are doing doing a few of them. You know? Yes, um, so I, I I think that will will always be a market, particularly mm. the cookbooks. Um, and so you've seen the a couple of fa- quite a number of phases of Australian publishing, haven't you? I have. You've yeah. seen the, the sort of the blossoming in the in the yeah. late early late seventies with yes. McPhee Gribble yes. and um, yes. Outback Press, and then their demise. Yes. Um, and then the flourishing of people like Text and Absolutely. a reborn Scribe yes. and a yep. reborn Maury Schwartz. Yep. Yes, yeah, all that. Um, yeah, exciting. And did you ever get jealous of what they were doing, or not? Not jealous. No, actually, not jealous. Because I, 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 you, I, I suppose, you know, I don't mean to be rude, yeah, but your, yeah, yeah. I saw your publishing as being yeah. fairly conservative. Yes, and, yes, I think that's true. I think my publishing was fairly conservative, yeah. and uh, and and a bit on the commercial side. Yeah, um, with a with an eye to the profit line, mm. um, whereas I think they they have taken far more risks uh, mm. and they've done it extremely. No, I, I'm full of admiration for for what they've done. I think it was very timely, and of course it just proves that the book is far from dead. Mm. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you didn't think that you wanted in, in, in Penguin to try and emulate that kind of. Because in a way, Brian wanted to do that, didn't he? He did. Yeah, he did. It, yeah. yeah, yeah. Brian did. No, no. I think it's. I think what you're saying is very fair. I. I think I did have too much of of an eye to the. To the business side of it, right? Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't. A, well, I was a risk taker because every publisher's risk yes, taker. Yes. But, <laughs> but, <book's> <laughs> but but not to that degree, probably. Yeah. And when they came along and behaved like that, I was full of, well, McPhee Gribble. First of all, mm. you know. I mean, I thought they. Wonderful publishers, yeah. mm. um, and uh, I, I tried to hire Michael Haywood at one stage. Um, oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we had a serious chat about it oh. um, when when I hired Ben Ball. Oh, um, as a publisher? Yeah, mm. yeah. And Michael said, looked at me and he said, "I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. I think, right. I, I think I'll keep doing it," right. <laughs> which was great, yeah. you know. And so, yes, you did hire Ben Ball, didn't you? And what was the strategy behind that? Well, that was to try and to get that sort of young... Yeah, more y- younger, a bit more literary. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. 
So you, you d- identified that as a niche that you... F- I identified it as something we needed. Yeah. Uh, I knew Ben, uh, and I had uh, lunch with him in London when he worked for Scribner, mm. and we had a good talk about it, and I, his wife's Australian, and mm. I thought I could persuade him. Right, and you did. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> right. Um, you talked about the old days and where you, you'd sort of go and do something because you thought it was a good idea. But yeah. Uh, they say now that publishing is totally driven by sales. Uh, it's the sales and marketing people decide what's going to be published. Uh, it's all down to bookscan figures. Um, you would have seen that transition. It, well, it was is it true? And did you, you would have worked? If it is, you would work through that transition. Yes. Your okay. good, good friend Mal- Michael Webster introduced. Bookscan well, first of all, Bookscan was a wonderful innovation for publishers. Bookscan um, collected data from booksellers. Collected data, real data. Real data. <laughs> through, what, the, through the till. What was selling in bookshops, Th- which you right. hadn't had before, had you? No. I, I, I mean, before, it was quite possible to say, oh, that's selling really well, let's do a reprint. Yeah, and the there time, was, there was, it wasn't selling anywhere. It wasn't selling shops. anywhere, you yeah. know, but at least we now knew, you know. So that helped us nurture the backlist uh, and, and tend to the backlist. It didn't necessarily help us a lot with the front list, although it did say cookbooks are certainly better than gardening books, and you know, so we had some, some, some data to work with. Um, but um, I, suppose, I suppose Bookscan brought, it, brought with it a new discipline, you know, to, to what we were doing. I don't think it changed publishing hugely. I don't, you said sales and marketing make the decisions. Now, there is some truth in that. There always was some truth in that. You know, we've always had something called the acquisitions meeting. We always had to bring a new project to the meeting and somebody strong could, could stomp on it. Mm. However, what's changed is that in, in the new corporate climate, which is so risk-averse, um, the process that a new project has to go through in order to get published drains all the life out of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got to write five pages on the book, you've got to do three spreadsheets, you've got to send it to Germany, get, get an approval from Germany and so on. And this was beginning to happen when I left Penguin. Right, and, so it was much more control. Much more control from, right. from, from, from above, you know. Yeah. And I, I found that distasteful, frankly. Right. You know, um, because you'd grown up in this yes, sort of no, more laissez-faire environment. Laissez-faire. <laughs> uh, That's right. So um, we don't have much more time, but um, perhaps what's if you have to look back and as a publisher, what what book have you been or books have you been most excited about publishing that you feel? really made their mark and still give you a bit of a thrill? Um, Well, quite a mixed bag, really. Um, Plain Beatty Bow by Ruth Ruth Park, Park. I think, has been a fundamentally important book to me. I I took some time trying to work out why it was so successful and then I kind of twigged. And, uh, I mean, A, she's a brilliant writer, Mm -hmm. but B, she just knew what kids were interested oh. in, so that was that was, one. and that was published as Robert Sessions, wasn't it? Uh, was it was it? actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, 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 that's true. Mm. Um, I mean, some of them are curious. Um, 
I can't get um, Christopher Koch's The Year of Living Dangerously out of my mind. Right. Simply because it, it was a surprise when it came along. Um, and did uh, that come unsolicited? That was a... Was that a castle? It came from an agent, I think. It, oh. was, it was Nelson. Nelson. Uh, Nelson, yeah. Nelson. It came from an agent. Um, uh, I loved it. Um, I got to know Christopher through it, and thereby hangs a quick story, if I may. Yeah. Um, I went to see Christopher up in the Blue Mountains where he lived after that book had been a great yeah. success, and he walked me past his workroom, which was lots of shelves, and, and on all the shelves there were these great stacks of paper, you know. And um, we sat down to lunch, and he, he said, Bobby said, how long can a book be? And I said, oh, God, Christopher, you mean? <laughs> he said, yes. <laughs> I said, how long? He said, 600,000 words. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was called The Double Man. Oh. I didn't end up publishing no. it because we didn't see eye to eye on what should happen. Chatter and Windows did. Uh, and in the process of cutting it, you know, completely ruined it. <laughs> but I, I've never seen a book. You know. Anyway, Christopher was a remarkable man. And uh, he had a brother called Philip Kosh, who was a um, uh, diplomatic, a di diplomat. Mm. And uh, they used to have a kind of code they would send each other, you know, herogram, as they were called. And these herograms came up in one of Christopher's books, and they also came up in one of John le Carre's books. Hmm. And Christopher rang me one day and he said, I think le Carre has stolen some of my ideas. <laughs> and I said, well, if he has, leave him be. That's right. <laughs> uh, Bob, it's been fantastic talking to you. I could go on forever, but yeah. we don't have the time. But no. um, you've still stayed involved in books. You, After you're retiring or... You went on to the board of the Melbourne Writers' Festival. Yes, and, I did. And yeah. other activities. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what are you reading now that's really... Well, I'll tell you what I'm reading. Uh, I, I've, I've got a little company um, going, ah. which, which is... Um, <laughs> so you haven't retired? Not completely. No. no. <laughs> uh, I, I'm helping people get published. Right. Um, not a literary agency exactly, but a fee-for-service. Um, right. and, and I'm finding it fascinating. And... I realise now I've, I've almost stopped reading for pleasure because I've got so much coming in <laughs> that I have to read. And some of it's very pleasurable. You know? Oh, good. <laughs> uh, but um, if I was reading, I'd be reading Hilary Mantel. Uh, I've got beside my bed. Right. Um, and uh, uh, the new Tim Winton. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, what else have I got smiling at me and beckoning me? <laughs> You know what it's like. You have yes, I do. Five, four or five books, books on the go. Yeah, <laughs> winking at you, saying, "Yeah, me yeah. next." <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, Paul. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and um, Good luck. best of luck for your little your new venture. Thank you. Yes, yeah. it, it's it's going quite well. It's keeping me to hear about busy what, what transpires, and if yeah. have any of the books been published yet, or uh, one of them next month. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're not free to. Yes, I am free to say what it is because yeah. it's a nice little story. It's a book called um, uh, It's a book about Sasha, who was a, a, a young boy in Poland whose mother saved his life by making him behave as a girl oh. because the boys were being sent off to Auschwitz. Right, right. And uh, when I first read it, it was you know, another Holocaust story and yeah. so on. But I had 
I think a very good idea. And I said to the author, Anita Seltzer, why don't you rewrite it from the point of view of the boy so that young readers can really identify with, you know, the scary person right, yeah. and so on and so forth. And she did it and Penguin are publishing it next month. As a young adult? Yeah, yes, yes, ah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. We'll look after it. That's good. Yeah. What's that called again? Sasha. Sasha. Yeah. Terrific. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob.